I don't want another one of your rational explanations. I know what I experienced and I'm not crazy. Some writer once said that reality is the only word in the language that should always be used in quotes. Why are you messing with the fantasy? We know about the reality. Don't ruin the fantasy, okay? Hey everybody, what's up? This is Ro flying solo this week. This is an episode of Stasis, which is my little side project that I like to do every once in a while, where I'll pull a guest on the show and we'll just have a random conversation about a certain topic. Well, this week we have Stephanie Quick returning to the show. Stephanie is a wonderfully whimsical and very wise person that I'm very happy to have made friends with through the show. Recently, she wrote an article for wearethehollow.org, which is a really cool esoteric kind of off-the-wall little site that's just got some really cool stuff, but she wrote an article called Sex Magic 101. If you hang out on our Facebook page, you probably read that article. Anyways, I got a hold of her and said, hey, I, uh, I read your article. Do you uh, you want to come on the show and talk about this? And she was kind of hesitant. She's always kind of hesitant to come on here or any other show for the most part. And she said, all right, I'll do it, but we got to do it tomorrow morning before I lose my nerve, and this is the window that we have to do it. So I said, all right, let's roll with this and see where it takes us. Got up the next morning, turned on the microphones and away we went um she puts a disclaimer in here and i'm going to do one as well neither her nor myself are practitioners of magic especially sex magic so we're really not qualified to talk about this topic again this is just a conversation we are having to see where it goes and boy, does it go into some crazy directions, as most of my conversations with Stephanie do. But um, if you are somebody who is into this stuff, who is a practitioner, who knows their stuff about this, this is probably not the show for you. Because, again, we don't know really what we're talking about, and we may inadvertently say something wrong or be wrong about something or what have you. If you are, just cut us some slack. We were doing this more or less for fun and just for conversation. Also, there are audio glitches in this show, as stated in the last episode. Um, I had about two weeks to polish this one up, so I got rid of a lot more. I was able to make it a lot cleaner. There are still some here, but again, I am a perfectionist when it comes to this. So if there is so much as a cricket tweeting 10 miles away and I hear it, it'll drive me crazy till I get rid of it. I did the best I could. It does sound better. Being also that this is a solo show, there's not going to be any kind of conversation after the interview's over. We just roll and run the music at the end of it or what have you. Lastly, there will not be a new show next week, which is the weekend of the 4th. I'm going to be out of town for a wedding that day. And uh, I think Lobo still got some stuff going on with his uh, daughters being in dance competition, and he is a dance dad. Right now, my life has got a lot of crazy stuff going on in the background, and Lobo's does as well. He's got his stuff with his daughters, and there's some stuff going on with some construction or whatever. I don't know. Hopefully, um, we'll be back on track here pretty soon, hitting that ever-present approaching juggernaut of episode 300, which is strange because it feels like six months ago I was just editing episode 200, and now here we are, 300 episodes in, eight years later still trudging along or trying to for the most part but anyways uh yeah hopefully we'll be back up and running as normal as we possibly can here pretty soon but uh anyways that's it this is rojan peace out from detroit
So we have returning with us Mrs. Stephanie Quick. And you had posted an article. By the way, good morning. How are you? Blah, blah, blah. Because it's really early where you're at right now. <laughs> it's not that. I mean, it's I'm an early bird, so it's not that early for me. But, not yeah. me. Not me. And <laughs> Well, for me, it's like, okay, it's, it's, it's like 10 o'clock Well, it's, 10, it's 11 o'clock here, but I like, I was up really late last night and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it, we're still getting into spring here. So, which means they'll have 70 degree weather one day and the next great day you'll have 30 degree weather. So yeah. it's like, uh, my throat's all shot and everything. But uh, you're like, yeah, I can come on and we can talk about this topic and blah, blah, blah. But we got to do it early. And I'm like, okay. So there's a four hour time difference between us, et cetera. Three hours. Right? Three hours. Okay. Yeah. I'm, just shut up. <laughs> I'm drinking coffee. Damn it. Leave me alone. But you had written an article for wethehollowed.org and it's about sex magic. We've never really talked about sex magic on the show, A, because we've never had anybody to talk to it about, and B, we really didn't know quite how to go about doing it. And then you wrote this, and I was like, wait a minute, you're a writer as well. I know you got your blog and things like that, but I didn't know that you also wrote on esoteric topics for other blogs. So... Yeah, well, it's actually... um, So I have my uh, blog, Ghost Dog is a Mystery Box. Hi, Mom. (laughs) Mom's just getting up. And... um, Oh, this is going to be a great talk, topic to talk about with mom around. Okay. <laughs> Actually, mom read that article, which I was very proud of her for, or very happy that she did. She said it was very understandable. So I was okay. That's a ringing endorsement from mom. So uh, <laughs> basically, I started writing up some of my esoteric uh, experiences and thoughts about a year ago on my own blog. And then Alex Bolin, who you know of the Alex cast. Mm-hmm. Um, he started reading it. He said, you know, I've got, I've been involved with this. It's like a cult and arts uh, collective up in Portland called We the Hallowed. And uh, you can just search We the Hallowed and, and get there. And um, he said, looks like you're writing some stuff that they might find interesting. So um, I approached the, I think it's Keats Ross, who is in charge of the website, We the Hallowed. And he said, sure, if you want to post something, you know, just send it through and and I'll take a look. And so I posted my Liminality 101 piece that I wrote for my blog, which a lot of people thought was helpful. And uh, Keith said, you know, we should do a one-on-one series because there's a lot of these, you know, topics, even for, you know, for people that are new or even people that are more adept but just don't know about other topics that they haven't necessarily gone into. So um, I was thinking, oh, that'd be a fun idea. And then over the last two or three weeks, um, I saw that there were people in the uh, paranormal community, a couple of people that I know from Paramania and other people, and uh, they had questions. It seemed like they didn't realize certain things about sex magic that I thought were kind of more obvious, but then I've been interested in that aspect of the esoteric for decades um, now. And so I thought, well, maybe sex magic 101 might be a you know a next article to write, so I wrote it. And- I now, mm-hmm. I got to ask, um, are you a practitioner of magic? Do you do you dabble in the arts or anything like that? Or are, are you kind of like me where you just sit back from afar and read about the stuff? Mm, well, I'm more of a mystic and I, you know, I have a daily practice. I mean, it, I don't know, it's not a daily practice. It's I was just always very interested in these topics from the time I was young. And I, I don't know, to me, every branch of knowledge that I've approached has been from that angle but what can this tell me about the the true nature of the universe in which we live 
Um, then I had that near-death experience when I was 21, and I was given specific practices, esoteric practices, more like yoga practices or Buddhist meditation practices, and I practiced them uh, consistently since then. I'm almost 57 now, mm-hmm. um, and I have uh, done a lot of experiments as far as um, precipitating synchronicities. Um, I don't really sit down and do ritual magic per se, but um, to me... I have a more of a, I don't want to say this, I, I view the world more as a canvas for uh, working out, finding out about yourself and, and taking on the, those uh, parts of yourself that you think are separate but really aren't. Mm-hmm. It's like the alchemical wedding, right? Or cosmic union, which <laughs> we're talking about sex magic, right? I mean, people think that it has to do more with, you know, just like, a lot of people, you know, I, I taught, oh, sex magic, but, oh, I know someone who charged a sigil. And to me, it's more about participating in this this grand uh, act of creation that is the universe, and realizing that it's all part of you. You are all part of it. It's of, funny yeah. that um like that you should post this because on Saturday, me and a buddy of mine, um, my buddy he was like, "Come on, we're gonna get out of here. We're gonna go do something or whatever." So we ended up some we ended up at a motorcycle swap meet. We were just out driving around. It was like, "Hey, this is going on. Let's go here." All right. So we go to this motorcycle swap meet. We get done. We end up going down the road to this brew pub that was in town. And um, I was sitting there. There wasn't a whole lot of people in the brew pub because it was Sunday. You know, we order our food and we're drinking our beer and stuff. And it's me and my buddy. And then about four bar stools down, um, there's another guy sitting there. And there really wasn't too lot, a whole lot of people there. So I'm explaining to my buddy we were talking about. Um, he came in the house and I had um, I had um, I got Daniel Harms's new book here about uh, Victorian magic. It was sitting on the counter. Mm. So we were out there, and he was asking me about the books and stuff. So I started explaining some stuff to him, and we were, I started talking about sigil magic. And I'm like, well, that's the most, from what I understand, it's the easiest form of magic that you can practice. And I told him, you know, write down what you want in a piece of paper, then take all the vowels out and all the matching letters out. You know how this works. And then you take the letters left over, and you make a spooky symbol of some kind. And then I'm like, and then you charge it. And he's like, okay, how do you go about doing that? And then I, you know, we, I brought up, well, there's the sex thing there. You can masturbate with it and put your intentions into it and you charge it that way, or you can work out whatever, any kind of expulsion of personal energy of whatever kind is what you use to charge it. And then you burn it and throw it away and forget about it. So as I'm talking, there's this guy about four stools down and he was a hipster kind of guy. I had the hipster haircut and the skinny jeans and stuff. And he kept mm-hmm. looking over at us and stuff. And, um, it, like he gave me this funny look, which I now I th- I think he was gay and he was kind of giving me the, hey, I'm gay. Are you gay? Look, flirting with me. But I was oblivious at the time. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. So my buddy gets up and we're still talking. And my buddy gets up and goes to the bathroom and this guy gets up, finishes his food or whatever and stops, you know, he walks up. He's like, he said something along the lines of, I just want you to know that. And I've had many people tell me this. He's like, I just want you to know that you come across to me as a person. He said something along the lines of that, that I, that I practice the workings or something like that. And Mm -hmm. that he believes that through, through intention that I can make manifest my desires and that I should keep working at this or something like that. And that was pretty much it. He just walked away or whatever. I don't remember the exact wording that he used, but I was sitting there and I'm like, Son of a bitch, because in the last year, I've had like five people tell me that Aaron David from Charm of the Water, Soraya has told me, and there's a couple other people that are like, you're a mage. You don't realize it, but you're a mage. You're, you're doing magic. You're practicing magic in your life and a, life and a daily thing, but you see things that happen to you as synchronicity. And of course, I'm like, <laughs> that's ridiculous, because you know? <laughs> I just don't see it that way. And then this guy just kind of walks up out of nowhere, caught part of our conversation, starts spewing this on me, and then just takes off and walks out of the place like 
like walks off into the sunset and probably burned his retinas out or whatever. But that was it. And I'm sitting there like, what the fuck just happened? You know, I'm like drinking my beer going, what the, and then my buddy sits back down and I'm trying to explain it to him. And he's like, yeah, man, that's crazy. That's wild. It's really deep. And I'm like, no, that's not, you don't, you don't understand. <laughs> it was really weird. Here's the thing. I've been having a very similar conversation with someone else recently in the last couple of days. When, was it? when your intention, as he said, and your attention are focused coherently on a, uh, bundle of meaning mm-hmm. and symbols you do that people think that you're gonna you know like cast a spell and then a demon shows up and you ask for the new car and then you know a poof a new car appears in your driveway mm-hmm. that can happen to me the uh, higher or the greater magic is that the world become the entire world becomes the stage so you talk about this uh means of magic and putting your personal energy into your desires that you have crystallized into this form. And then immediately someone comes up to you from the outside world, a separate person on our plane of existence and, and reaffirms this to you, which is telling you something about who you are, who the world is. There's a lot more overlap than we're led to believe. I guess. I mean, I, I fiercely reject the, the idea that I am a mage working magic because recently there was another friend of mine. And I was having a conversation with her and I'm like, I don't do ritual. I, I read this stuff. I'm fascinated by it. I, I find the imagery rather cool. Um, but I'm like, I don't do any rituals or anything. I don't burn candles. I don't create sigils. I don't, I don't do anything like that. So for I'm me, what's that? Here, I said, I'm interrupting you. Oh, it's okay. Ritual is, it can be very beautiful. It's very important. can be very powerful. The purpose of ritual is to create an environment in which your system can make the energetic movement to bring into manifestation what it is you want to do. So ritual is wonderful and fine, but what what makes things happen is that energetic movement. Okay. Or the insight. So you're in a position where you don't have to do the candle. You can, you can perform the energetic movement itself. For me, energetic movement usually pertains to just getting off of the couch so I can go do the dishes. <laughs> so, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm in such denial. Everybody tells me I'm in such denial about this, but whatever. Um, denial what? is more than a river in Egypt. <laughs> And that's that's something I wanted to emphasize at the beginning of this because you have. I mean, I'm thinking you've been going at this for how many years, and you're the first the person you're having on to talk about sex magic is me. I'm just like, oh my. well, the reason why is I mean, me and you, we've got a pretty good rapport. We um, do. So I, I like we can we can have a frank conversation. Like I, like I was telling you before the show, I'm not going to start cracking dick jokes or anything like that. And you were like, well, I probably will. And I said, well, okay, that's fine. <laughs> but I mean, we can like. We've had some pretty crazy conversations and they flowed rather well. So like you're not you're not deeply embedded into the gobbledygook or things like that. You're you're coming to it from an every man or an every woman stance. So it's 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 fairly easy to have conversations with you about this stuff. But having said all that, um, I guess we should probably move into the actual topic. Now, at the very beginning of the article, you have a cute little disclaimer that I thought was pretty interesting. So. Do you want to go over that again here since we're about to top, talk about the topic or what have you? Yes, I would. I am completely unqualified to tell anyone anything about this topic. Most people 
are, well, if you're interested in these type of topics, it's, it's incumbent upon you to take responsibility for yourself to be very skeptical, but you also have to be open-minded, right? Because if you don't know about this stuff, then like, what is it? Rumsfeld would say, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've been reading something and I'm thinking, you know, about someone's experience. I think, yeah, that's bullshit. What crap, blah, blah, blah. And then months, years later, I'm like, oh, they were just describing exactly what happens. I was too much of an asshole to listen to them. <laughs> so you have to listen. But, you know, you you also have to be skeptical. I would say engage with the ideas and see if you can um, find them helpful in your own life as opposed to listening to what any one person has to say. Now, especially in sex, you know, people can be very abusive and manipulative around these topics. And, you know, some people have gotten into, you know, really hot water with this type of thing. But it can also be, you know, a, a really uh, beautiful, uh, mind-blowing experience <laughs> if you, you know, approach it um, with a pure heart and uh, respect your partner, I think. So anyway, that's my disclaimer. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. I, I figured since you put it in the article, that would be good to put it here as well. So basically, when you're saying is if you find this interesting, go out upon yourself and finish doing the research on your own, which is good. Yeah, listen, yeah and keep, keep an open keep an open mind and, and respect other people and respect yourself. So where do you want to start with this? Realizing that I asked you to come on my show. What's what's a good <laughs> stepping point to go from here? Well, I always like to t- to start. I'm talking about sex. Now, partly this is because I'm, um, especially when I was younger, I was very interested in science and nature and biology, and I had training in anthropology and archaeology at the college level. Um, so I always like to look at sex as just, you know, what is it physically in this world? And when we were speaking earlier with Lobo, you know, he said sex, you know, all life comes from sex, but that's not true. Um, on this world, you know, we have geological changes that happen and they happen on the whole very slowly the weather changes uh life came onto this planet and firstly it was uh like single-celled organisms that would reproduce by asexual reproduction right so you have to eat and get really big and then you split off and it's like two twins i've got part of that down i'm waiting for the last of it but go ahead Lie on Project <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm actually losing weight now, but go ahead. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, so this is an effective means to reproduce yourself. As long as things are kind of staying the same and you don't have any big changes happening in your environment, um, things can go along pretty well. But uh, the problem with asexual reproduction is that you don't get much variety. It takes a long time for uh, your species to change because you're just having these random mutations that happen every so often. So you get you can get in a situation like, for example, the potato famine in Ireland. They were just really relying on this one food source and it was monoculture. It was all these clones of the same potatoes, right? You could take a potato and take all the eyes out and get baby potatoes. That's what they did. And so when a virus came on that this uh, organism was susceptible to. They had no genetic variation to guard against this, and the whole thing just came crashing down. It was horrible. My husband, Anthony, was over in Ireland, I don't know, like 15, 20 years ago, and he is still people are still freaked out about and had personal stories from their family about how horrible that time was. Wow. Yeah. 
So, um, but the beauty part of asexual reproduction is you don't have to try and attract a mate. You don't have to try and get close to anyone. You don't have to convince them to, you know, do anything with you. So it takes a lot less risk that way. Um, Sexual reproduction came on the scene. I looked on the internet. It said 1.2 billion years ago. And, you know, it's a complete game changer because you you just take everyone's uh, genetic material, mix it up, divide it in half, and boom, you have just like amazing amounts of diversity um, really quickly. And so species can uh, change and adapt to changing circumstances, like, you know, looking at human beings, just the way that we have just like, you know, exploded all over the planet, just in the blink of an eye, really. Um, And it's because we have this incredible genetic diversity along with the uh, technological uh, diversity that we have. Um, So that's a huge advantage. The risks to sexual reproduction are that, you know, it takes a lot of energy. You have to put yourself out there where these other organisms can find you. You have to let them know, let's say, if you are a tarantula, I'm a male tarantula, I'm not a piece of food because the lady tarantula is sitting there thinking, yeah, this looks like an amazing meal that I have. Right. Don't play with yeah. your food. <laughs> so they have to do this old kind of tappy dance to say, not food, not food, please don't eat me. You know, then there's a whole, you know, producing eggs and caring for them and raising the offspring. Um, then there's a billion different strategies for how to make sex work. Um, there's different strategies for, I mean, ducks have become famous on the internet recently because they're all a bunch of freaking rapists. And so the lady ducks have to have these kind of (laughs) vaginas that have like false, (laughs) false ends to them. And like this massive musculature, I mean, it's got to feel like insane on the two of them between, you know, the male duck trying to get in there with this like penis that just like goes from zero to 60 in 0.3 seconds. And you can look it up online. It's alarming. And then these lady ducks, <laughs> musculature, they can just like. You can look that. it up online. It's alarming. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> However, you know, You've done your research, research here. I'm impressed. <laughs> but anyway, you know, and, and then there's, you know, birds that you look at and they just perform. They're just like the male birds are just like, you know, just like bits of heaven falling from the sky sitting there showing it all off. Hey, ladies, come over here. And then all, all the little ladybirds are like the, kind of these small brown things, just kind of like this kind of like a bemused look on their face, like, oh, my gosh. So, you know, that's a different strategy of using charm and glamour to uh, draw uh, your partner to you. But anyway, all this takes a lot of work. It's very risky. Uh, you have a lot of animals that just die at the end of it. Uh, there's uh, shrews and some voles. Um, Possums are this kind of a way uh, where the when the males go into heat, or it's not really heat, it's like a rut, when they become uh, sexually mature, they will basically just be kind of, they'll stop eating, they'll stop drinking, they'll just go looking for the first female they can find and just fuck until they're dead. I mean, like moles and, and shrews actually are the worst because they have a very high metabolism, so they have to constantly eat. And so once they stop eating and start engaging in all this activity. Um, you, you realize you're describing college for a lot of people out there. <laughs> right now. <you're... laughs> anyway, they usually have about uh, 10 to 12 hours and then it's curtains for them. But, you know, that. so that's the other price of sex is that, you know, that's when death comes into the equation as well. So, 
But anyway, so what is my point? My point is that there's a billion ways to go about it, but the basic idea is that you have two organisms that come together. They're very similar, but they're different enough that when they come together, they can create something new and that there has to be this exchange between the two of them now. And this is how it tends to go esoterically. Well, the uh, esoteric or subtle bodies will mirror the physical bodies and the physical processes in their basic outline. So you have the positive partner, which is generally the male, who is going to be starting this process, passes this, uh, attracts the female, passes his genetic material to her, which then she accepts it, transforms it and like lays an egg or has a baby or whatever. I mean, that's the basic idea is that you have this exchange and at the end of it, the uh, uh, material, the energy that has been passed between the two has been transformed into something new. So, of course, this is how it happens for uh, physical beings, but um, the same process from an esoteric level is going on, uh, let's say, emotionally, um, intellectually. Uh, it's you know, very obvious in the creative process. The example I use in my article is that I know a lot of podcasters, it's exponentially easier, according to them, to record a show when you have a guest Yes. who is participating in the discussion, right? Because you have this exchange. Mm-hmm. You tell me something and then I take it on and I come back at you with something new, which then you can take, so you can create this circuit. Um, and this can also operate on the higher levels of well, as well if you want to get into, you know, like the, the astral level or the soul level. Um, I was just, I have a, a very good friend who um, is an incredible artist and he just sent me this huge book. It's like 300 pages of his paintings for my birthday. And it's incredible. But he was he was very funny. He said, he read my article and he said, I feel like a blind person is being described what a sunset looks like. <laughs> <laughs> but I was saying, you know, if you're an artist engaging with your audience, to me, it's like this type of process going on, like on the level of, I would say, the soul where you just have these these images and these symbols and ideas. Um, and, you know, and again, it gets to the whole idea of sex magic, which it doesn't have to involve anything uh, physical, but you have this uh, true exchange on this level of um, something real. You know, when you engage with an artist's work, you really change how you view the world around you. Mm-hmm. And so that's when you're getting at the, the higher, uh, more... I don't know, expanded levels of, of sex magic. You know, you can see a sculpture from uh, Egypt, right? Thousands of years ago, other side of the world, um, you know, completely different culture and people, and it can awaken something in you. I mean, that's the power of this creative exchange. How do we branch that into the magic part? Because right now, it's it's basically the accumulation of energy is what we're talking about here for the most part. Accumulating it, but it's also the, well, okay, so I kind of came up with four categories for sex magic. This is just my take on it. You know, you could, you know, it's just one model that you could put on this is that people are doing all type of a billion different things. So the first one, as you say, accumulating energy, if you're charging a sigil or let's say you're involved in a Wiccan group, you could have an orgy or everyone's focusing on one person and then you have the culmination of like orgasm and then you imagine it this energy pushing out towards this goal that you've all agreed on beforehand um 
this would be a form of sex magic at the same time it's kind of one of those things where you know um well gerald gardner who founded most of wicca was very famous for liking to be i think bound and flogged <laughs> you can like dancing, chanting. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's, it's a stereotypical. When someone brings up Wicca, that's the image you get of chicks dancing around, you know, or a tree or something or naked. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> gotcha. I'm there with you. Boy, does that sound perverted. Yeah. But anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's a pretty simple energetic move. It can be incredibly powerful as well. I would not denigrate it, but that, that's kind of like the first the first stage or uh, one way of playing that. Um, then another one that's popular that I see addressed around, um, you know, various occult circles or magical circles is, of course, you'd have uh, partner sex where you're both ha- or one or both of you have uh, agreed on some type of a a goal or image, a symbol that you're going to put your energy towards. And then you basically try and drag the sex out for as long as you can. And then both people come at the same time and twing, put this energy again away from the both of you towards this outer goal. Like if, I don't know, if you want a new car or something. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I get that. You have a modern goal in mind, so you screw and have sex. And then you, that you when you orgasm, that's where the energy goes into getting that thing. Yeah, I get yeah. that. Again, but it seems like it's more, it's just the accumulation and direction of energy for the most part. Exactly. Now, then you get to partner sex magic where you are moving the energy around the circuit. It, and in a lot of, actually, it's interesting to me, I think it, I don't know. See, here's where I fall down. I'm not really going to be able to give people 8 million references or talk about the history of tantric sex or all this type of thing. But in uh, Eastern as well as Western um, systems, which probably came from the East, uh, this type of sex magic, it's as I said before with the physical, the idea is that the active partner is moving the impulse down from their um, crown chakra through the core to the root chakra, letting it flow to the negative partner who kind of catches that energy at the root and draws it up, thereby transforming it out the crown and where then, you know, the uh, other partner can take it on again and you can complete this circuit. This, you can use, and, now, and this is where people get all like the real wild, crazy, very complicated stuff comes up. Because this yeah, it also of, sounds too much like work, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of it depends if you get like someone who uh, is has developed facility with uh, uh, working with their subtle bodies and their subtle energy. Someone who has a decent uh, experience with meditation can hold uh, no mind or has a disciplined mind. But this is the type of thing. Well, and also just someone that you find hot is going to be easier. Than someone that you don't, I would think. But. <laughs> But this is the type of of practice where you can, for example, let's say you're uh, the feminine partner, you could then channel like uh, the goddess and and then your partner could interact with the goddess. They have a mystical uh, experience, uh, initiation that way. Um, A lot of... spiritual or magical lineages that this is one way of initiating a person because of course your 
going from being a separate individual to becoming energetically like this one complete being. And so you have access to all of the energetic patterns, the thoughts, the egregores, all this uh, soul uh, karma that has accumulated to the one partner is now available freely to the other. And that's a nice angle. I should try that sometime. But go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Hey, baby, would you like access to my library? Come on. (laughs) I suck. Go ahead. (laughs) Or just people, for example, Cosmic Union, if you just want to have this experience of the divine, of no mind, of unity with the universe, it's a way to access these uh, more expanded states of consciousness Mm -hmm. through these practices. Now, in... Uh, the Western. This is where the story of people having sex for like 13 hours at a time come, come, comes from, though. Uh, well, so. I, this is one of these things where I, ha- I have questions. <laughs> First of all, all these people are talking about, well, you need to at least be going at it for like 45 minutes before. I'm like, how? I. I've never heard you speechless before. <laughs> like a massive urinary tract infection from just like going at it like this. <laughs> oh, I mean, what are you doing? The other thing, the personally, I have a question is, I mean, the, I don't want to say, one of the advantages of being a woman when it comes to sex is that um, you don't have what they call the refractory period, Right. Yes. So you could basically, you know, you just have multiple orgasms. Now, interestingly, you would think that that this would be something that people would latch on to, magically speaking. But I haven't really run across anything where people are see- talking about that. They they seem to be very focused on people just holding off for as long as possible. Hopefully, at least half an hour. <laughs> Probably 45 minutes. <laughs> Why is 45 minutes the magical number? I don't understand I that. I don't know, but I've seen it like various places. So I I don't know. I don't know when it comes to it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. See, this is why I'm completely unqualified to write this, to be talking to you about this. I will say this. Uh, when we talk about the completed circus, this is the type of thing where, you know, like I said, you, you when you want to experience the divine, this is a perfect um, practice for that, provided that you have a, uh, <clears throat> a an appropriate partner, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's if you're trying to go for this, it's incredibly intimate. And, you know, someone making a wrong move at that time. I mean, they could, it could be very hurtful. It could be very energetically difficult. Um, Again, this sounds way too much like work, but yeah. I mean, you would think it's like, all right, I get to bone down and I, you know, I get to get what I want in the end and I get to do this really cool ritual. But the more you talk about it, the more it sounds like, man, there's a lot of pre-planning and effort that needs to be put into this. And it kind of takes away from the magic of the whole ordeal. Wait a minute. Well, that's a bad choice of words. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I don't want to say, I think part of it is it just, if you, well, it's like, they're always saying when you're uh, practicing as a Buddhist, one of the things, the first things that you pray for is long life. Because if you've been meditating for 25, 30 years, it doesn't sound like such a big deal as it does when, you know, you just started last week. Right. Uh huh. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, for you, uh, making and editing, a, recording and editing a podcast right now is a lot easier for you than it was when you first started, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's the same yeah. basic idea. And I would say it's not for everyone. The, the other main hazard that I point out to people when they ask me about this when it comes to these types of sex magic, I mean, if you're just kind of doing the stuff where you're kind of putting it out towards a goal, raising the energy, putting it out towards a goal outside of you, then I think that's different from some of these other partnered ones where you're passing the energy back and forth. Because if you're doing a, a, a partnered energetic uh, sex magic, if you, I don't want to say, if you get good at it, right, you access these expanded uh, higher states of consciousness. What generally happens with these type of things is it's like your, your, let's say your light body, your consciousness is lighting up is the metaphor that's generally used. And what this does is it shines a light on all the cobwebs and crap and old bullshit in the corners of your consciousness that you don't want to necessarily take a look at. Yeah, again, I don't think I want to be doing that during sex, though. <laughs> But uh, usually, usually this is the type of thing that will that will hit you later. And again, do I really want regrets afterwards? <laughs> but go ahead, I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, if you're a type of person who is sincerely interested and has a burning passion for union with the divine, this is the, this is how it happens, right? And you know, it's very similar to a type of thing that happens just in, in a, just a normal relationship with a person. Yeah. When you start to become more intimate with the person, right, it brings up your issues with intimacy. This is just the same thing, but on a grand scale. And this is why I advise people to become adept at processing your own stuff, going through this process on your on your own before you would be uh, uh, interested or motivated or try and go out to find someone else to practice with. Because what's going to happen is if you have any type of a chemistry or, uh, you know, a spark with this other person, it's just going to put this whole process into overdrive and you're going to end up processing a lot of other people's stuff. You know, you're going to end up processing your partner's stuff and stray stuff from around. Mm-hmm. So this is my caution against that practice. I would say I would advise people, speaking as one who's completely ignorant, <laughs> to take care to you know process your own stuff and become familiar with that process of having these extended states of awareness and back and saying, oh, this is coming up to me because it's never like, oh, look at that thing there in the corner. Let me go pick it up. It's just you know, some horrible situation comes up in your face and you get really freaked out and you're like, oh my God, or, or really angry or something. And mm-hmm. then you have to catch yourself and say, oh, and let it go. So but as you think, yeah, it's, these are the type of things that happen in normal intimate relationships and not just sexual relationships, but like, you know, your relationship with your parents and your sibling or friends, but it just becomes much more amplified in the, this type of setting. Mm-hmm. So you've covered, I think we've covered two of them so far. Did you have, did you want to go into the rest of them or? I think we've covered three because the, the whole idea of raising energy and then pushing it out mm-hmm. can be performed either solo or in a group or partnered setting. The other thing that I wanted to touch on as far as the energetic exchange between partners, probably the most uh, famous sex magician of the last century is Aleister Crowley. And he... I think was uh, very adept and incredibly knowledgeable and incredibly well-read. But I think that he ran into some problems or what I would call missteps. He, 
would do what a lot of people do is if you uh, have this energetic circuit set up, it's possible to kind of divert the energy at various levels for magical purposes. So uh, a lot of the Victorian um, magicians and uh, Crowley kind of comes out of the latter part of that era uh, would talk about, um, you know, they were very concerned about the possibility of a child because of course birth control was not readily available then. But Crowley would like to uh, have all type of sex that could not result in a child or that would be seen as perverted. And then this would give him a bigger boost because he's breaking taboos. And also, I think, because he would be, uh, you know, humiliating um, and shocking his partner. And he used that as an emotional boost to himself so he could, you know, have this greater energy to put towards magical purposes. So, and again, with these things, there's a billion ways to go about that. But I think that when you're reading Crowley, it's important to keep that in mind that he really, I think, I mean, what's wrong with showing the person that is helping you achieve these magical goals a good time? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is, that is the upside to all of this is it's, it, it can be a lot of fun, I suppose. It's just it seems like the amount of work that you're putting in to get. I mean, I get it. I get all of it. I get the accumulation of energy because that's where the, the from what I understand through magical practices, that's where what that's what powers what you want to do. You have to have some kind of energy behind it. And mm-hmm. you absolutely create and expel a lot of energy during sex. But you can do that doing working out or what have you as well. But here's the difference. Sex opens a door to the other side. Okay, this is going to where I'm going to say, I already sound pretty, but that's the thing is that if you're working out and stuff, you can accumulate this energy, but sex is a force that is rampant on this planet and all it wants to do is use you up and see if it can get something out of it, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. I mean, plenty of people have found themselves in like really crazy situations because they were consumed with lust, right? This sex force is trying to, it just does not care about you as an individual. It's playing a numbers game, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the difference when you're- quite literally a force of nature is what you're saying. It is, it is, exactly, yep. So that's the difference with sex. That's why it can become so powerful, these practices, because you are tapping into this force. So in that way, I would argue it is different from, you know, just working out or dancing or singing, that type of thing. I would say that it's not so different from devotional practice because devotional practice will also open a door to the other side and could put you in touch with these larger forces. If you were to, if somebody were to ask you, you know, where do I go to find more about this? Where would you send people to, where did you do your research from? Well, let's see. I don't know that I found a lot of good instructions on this there are interesting things to read i like dion fortune a lot of people actually i was just talking with alex bolin about her and he said i think she was bullshitting (laughs) (laughs) but she (laughs) but she talks a fair amount about sex magic her book uh the sea priestess and moon magic oh just a second mom is chiming in here Oh, mom's hope, uh, wondering if we could have a 25 second pause so she could grind her coffee. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> go, mom. Go. Thank you, mom. Mmm. God damn, Jimmy. This some serious gourmet shit. Me and Vincent would have been satisfied with some freeze dried taster's choice, right? <laughs> Niece brings this serious gourmet shit on us. What flavor is this? Knock it off, Julie. What? I don't need you to tell me how fucking good my coffee is, okay? I'm the one who buys it. I know how good it is. 
Bonnie goes shopping, she buys shit. I buy the gourmet expensive stuff because when I drink it, I want to taste it. But you know what's on my mind right now? It ain't the coffee in my kitchen. Where were we talking about before your mom ground the coffee out? I don't remember. Oh, um, saying um, if you had, if I had any advice on. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, I like Dion Fortune, and as I said, Alex said that he thinks that she's bullshitting a lot, so he wasn't very interested in what she had to say. Um, I became interested more in sex magic, or the the esoteric side of sex because of personal experiences that I had. Uh, probably a big one that really kind of crystallized my interest. I was living up at a Tibetan Buddhist meditation center and um, there was, I don't like about six guys that lived there. And then we had like the Rinpoche and then another woman who lived there who was his girlfriend, but was of course everyone uh, above this guy in the uh, Tibetan Buddhist uh, hierarchy was saying, well, you know, you should just be his girlfriend and support him and, help him in all his efforts, but of course he's supposed to be a llama and celibate, so you can't get any public acknowledgement for the huge amount of good that you're doing for this organization, which is bullshit. Yeah, that sounds pretty culty. Well, yeah. Anyway, so I was there, and I noticed that the guys would be talking about Rinpoche, like, oh yeah, he you know, he has this control over time and space. It's like, you know, and they talk about like having these experiences of probably seeing his doppelganger or him showing up in dreams or whatever they sound very excited about. But then I noticed some of the young women in the group, they would talk about, I don't know, they would talk about these kind of odd experiences. They seem very ashamed and embarrassed about something having to do with him and I couldn't figure out quite what it was now from the time I was very young I would I mean like you know like five or six I would get attention men and teenage guys and so I knew this I I was in my early 30s at this point so I was very adept at saying no thank you (laughs) not to put too fine a point on it and I've been reading Dion Fortune's psychic self-defense like I mean, I've literally read into uh, tear into garbage, like torn apart, like four or five of her books of that book. So anyway, I'm up there one night and I'm just minding my own business dreaming. I'm in my room and the door opens and Rinpoche comes in and I just woke right the fuck up. And you know how you have that feeling that's like the room's reverberating, like right after an orchestra stops playing? Mm-hmm. It was that. Yeah. And it was just, I was like, it was such a simple thing, but I was just like, and he was very matter of fact about it. And I was just like, whoa. But I knew that somehow I'd bested him. And after that, he started treating me very differently. He, he was like, I don't know, he would always kind of do this kind of idiot savant, happy Rinpoche type deal. But after that, he became a lot more uh, matter of fact. And he would ask for my help with things. One time they were doing uh, getting ready for Vajrayogini initiation. And there was a bunch of other students around and they were helping him make these ritual objects. And there was a, a point where he needed one person to help him. He asked me. Now, at this point, I wasn't even sitting on Sunday night Chen Reason meditation, which is like the one thing that you do weekly service there because of the skeeviness <laughs> involving him. But so everyone was like, why, you know, so this goes along a few months after that, there was a couple in the South who had been big students of his for a long time. They were on the wealthy side. The wife especially decided that she, they were going to sell everything that they had, move out here, and they were going to whip this, this uh, meditation center into shape and get Rinpoche out there teaching all the time and everything. She's one of those 
people likes to come in and get everything going. So they were there for a while. And of course, she didn't like me because she figured I was just taking advantage, blah, 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 because of course, she didn't know all this other BS going on. So one day she says, oh, I'm going to go shopping. You want to come with us? I said, fine. So we're wandering around in this store. And she said, Stephanie, I had this dream about Rinpoche, and I just don't know what it means. And I said, well, she said, you know, try me. Well, so... I'm in this dream, and Rinpoche came to me, and he said that he would give me all this mystical attainment, and I'd become, you know, very enlightened and get all this great karma if I would just have sex with him, but I had to keep it secret. Uh-huh. And I said, well, I think it means <laughs> that if you have sex with Rinpoche and keep it secret, that he says you're going to get all this mystical attainment and everything. She's like, I don't know. I just, I just can't, I just can't figure out what, and I was just like, ugh. I mean, I can't tell you. It's like it just came right out of her mouth, but there was talk about cognitive dissonance anyway. So I just let it be. So to me, at that point, I knew what game he was playing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you get these people worked up and keep them, you know, because I mean, if you look at it from the circuit, right? It's like they're giving to him, but he's not giving back to them, right? Mm -hmm. So then all that energy he can use for himself. Now, according to certain Tibetan Buddhist ideas, uh, he is more advanced and he's able to direct this energy more skillfully, so it should be a good thing. But personally, I, I don't know that I completely buy that. But this crystallized my interest in um, the esoteric side of sex, specifically for women, because I think you're more likely to be manipulated or taken advantage of or harassed in this way if you're engaging in any type of a group practice. So I found a Dion Fortune, any of her uh, Sea Priestess Moon Magic. Moon Magic deals with a very, uh, if you're interested in like kind of the higher uh, forms of sex magic, uh, she's very explicit as far as uh, various practices and how to perform them and how things kind of play out on the stage of your, your outer consciousness. Um, I have been reading... A book about uh, Ida Craddock, who was a uh, sexual outlaw and erotic mystic is the name of the book. Yeah, I think you posted that like a month ago or something on Facebook or something like that, didn't you? I don't remember. Yeah, a while back. I got it. Yeah. She, I don't even know how to explain her life, but she ended up having a uh, boyfriend when she was a teenager um, who, um, sadly, he proposed and then sadly uh, he died. Um, after she turned down his proposal. So then she went on and became uh, interested in spiritualism and theosophy, became uh, adept at seances and channeling and all this type of stuff. She was also a very effective public speaker and champion for uh, rights of free speech and uh, birth control. Um, birth control, maybe not. I don't think she was into birth control. She was more about uh, sexual uh, information, right? This was back in like the 18 whatever. I can't remember early, like the Edwardian age. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was actually, she came under fire from uh, Comstock. You remember the Comstock laws where this guy could go in and they would check everyone's mail to make sure that you weren't mailing out a pamphlet that said how you could uh, have a better sex life, even if you were married or if you had any type of birth control devices, um, you could be thrown in jail. He came... She came under fire from him. He hounded her to the point where she was going to have to go uh, to basically on hard labor for ladies for a number of years. And she killed herself. Oh. And, yeah. Well, she did it very deliberately to become a martyr. 
And actually, that was what turned the uh, tide public opinion against him. So we all owe her a great debt if you ever uh, use Brickenshaw or go online and uh, find out, you know, how to prevent pregnancy or have STDs or (laughs) how to not have an STD. (laughs) You know, all this information goes back to her. Anyway, so before this happened, she... Apparently, somehow her boyfriend from when she was younger came to her in spirit form and uh, they became married and they would have this very active uh, mystical sex life between her and this, uh, her one book is called Heavenly Bridegroom. So, So we're talking ghost sex here. Yeah, basically. And here is the thing, poor mom is not going to listen to this part. Here's the thing that really gets <laughs> She is incredibly well-read she is just diamond sharp mind incredible writer but so she's talking about this stuff i guess that um some of her experiences she thought uh reflected uh for example the experience of isis you know osiris dies yeah Yeah, not the terrorist organization yeah not yeah the goddess yes and so she has sex with his uh either his penis that she's revivified or his uh, uh, dildo that she is magically envisioned and becomes pregnant because her spirit husband would come to her and he, he would manifest as just the penis. <laughs> and she writes about this and she's like, <laughs> sharp as tack. And she's very, she's very high minded about it all. And I'm just thinking, I mean, ghost sex sounds weird enough, but like just, I, anyway, the so manifesting people, penis. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Again, um, the dick jokes. <clears throat> exactly. And I have to give her props because she she will talk about the most intimate, private, like really graphic stuff. And it's like very clear and it's very uh, matter of fact, very high minded. So she's she's very fascinating to read for a lot of reasons. Um, but I don't know when it comes down to information, I haven't really found any information that speaks to me. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff on the lucky mojo website. There's like a whole sex magic site mm-hmm. that talks about uh, or area of the site. Um, Alan Greenfield, um, who wrote, he's actually, he's very prominent these days because the secret cipher of the euphonauts, he has written a lot about, uh, Pascal Beverly Randolph, who's another, he's like a Victorian era, uh, sex magician, very uplifting and, uh, very worthwhile. Although he's another one of these people. It's like, you need to maintain this one position for like the better part of an hour. And oh my God, <laughs> God. I'm like, what? A cramp. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. God. <laughs> but that's, the, but I think that's part of the, what I would like to convey as well is that there is these general principles and then you get individual people that say, okay, well, that means that you have to, if you want, I don't know, if you want to contact uh, XYZ goddess, that you have to have sex in this particular position, for, you know? Mom's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that these things always go that way. I mean, I think there's like these general principles but then how they apply, how they apply and how they unfold. I mean, it's just like sex in the physical, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, slug sex is going to be very different from, let's say, manta ray sex. But it, so it comes down to who you are and your your life, where you are. 
Are you a sloth or a manta ray? That's what matters. (laughs) (laughs) One of the funniest things, I always look for this every once in a while, uh, every so often online. One of the funniest things I ever saw in this uh, nature show, they're showing manta rays, and I guess they get these groups, there'd be like hundreds and hundreds of them, and they'll just form this huge kind of like manta ray tornado going around, swimming around and around slowly over these huge flat uh, areas of land in the sea. And then they start to pair off. So it's kind of like a club scene or, you know, pick up these manta rays. They pair off and go and do the deed. And then, so they show this and it's swirling. It's really incredible looking and everything. And then they, they cut and they say, and the next morning, and you see all these manta rays and they're just like flat out all over the seafloor. And they just look completely exhausted. It just cracked. <laughs> It's like they have the big orgy and then everyone's like, Ugh. <laughs> oh man. I'm uh. sorry. Yeah, that's the other thing I said. Try and focus on the the general principles, in, as opposed to you know, because people people are very technical. Oh, you can't touch the clitoris because it's you need to have a vaginal orgasm and you know touching it with your hand is or his hand is masturbatory you know they really get wound up about things i don't know if that is going to make i don't know if that's really accurate (laughs) i gotta admit this listening you struggle for words is an adventure within itself (laughs) thank you (laughs) My specialty. (laughs) Well, we've been going at it for about an hour now. Probably a poor choice of words to use in regards to this subject. But (laughs) we've established that the magical number is 45 minutes. But uh, (laughs) I do want to thank you for coming on here and talking about this. Uh, So, yeah, basically just go out and do the research on it if it's something that you're interested in. For me, it sounds like a lot of work um, to to possibly ruining a good time. Yeah, I would focus on the, you know, the practice, treat the people around you with compassion, um, learn to quiet your mind and your emotions, um, maybe do some uh, subtle body meditations, just focusing on your chakras and your core, that type of stuff so that, you know, if the opportunity arises that you'll be able to uh, take advantage of it and um, have a positive uplifting result. Cool. Well, uh, again, where can people find you if they want to read up on what your stuff is now that I've, I've found another outlet for you? Um, obviously, yeah. one of those would be we the, we the org. Do you write for them a lot, just by out of curiosity? Or are you going to be? Uh, yeah, I think that uh, uh, Keats is interested in continuing this one-on-one series, um, so definitely that. And then I have other, other things that I'll post there, too. And there's Alex Bolin's on there. There's a bunch of different podcasts. There's music and art and um, writing, so it's it's a fun place to go to um my own personal website is ghost dog is a mystery box um and i'm on facebook and i'm on twitter at wandering britches well cool beans thank you again stephanie for coming on here and having this conversation though strange odd and wonderful this is what we do um as always it's been a lot of fun talking with you you're always really super nervous about coming on here but somehow we always manage to make it through (laughs) for an hour oh gosh (laughs) Thank you, sweetie. We'll talk again. Thank you.
Barbershop.